Welcome to A Sex Worker's Guide to the Galaxy, where the answer to life, the universe, and everything is sex workers. I'm your host, Parker Westwood. Today we get to talk about shame and stigma, mostly around kinks, but a bit around sex work. We also get to talk about the BDSM community and the difference between pro and lifestyle BDSM. I don't know that we really reach a conclusion, but it's a really fascinating conversation. You'll notice that partway through, I think pretty early on in the interview, my audio gets pretty noticeably shittier. My microphone stopped working, so forgive me that. We're just working with my computer's audio, which isn't terrible, but um, it's a thing that happened. We're learning. So that's that. My guest on the show today is Miss Olivia Black, a prodom based out of Chicago. She's stunning, and her mind is just as beautiful as her physical being, and uh, I'm excited to share this conversation with all of you. So let's just dive in. I'm going to have you, I usually just let people introduce themselves. Um, the way they prefer to be introduced. So include a pronoun and um, let our listeners know who you are and what kind of sex work you do. Okay. Hello, everybody. Uh, My name is Olivia Black. My pronouns are she and her. And I am a professional dominatrix. Do you like how I'm leaning into the camera, by the way? I'm like, like I'm really seeing people. Hi. <laughs> it's the best way to do it. If you pretend, yes, <laughs> you pretend That's they're there. My audience that I'm talking to and I'm really just like staring at myself. That's what um, I do. Yes. Hi. Hi, I'm Olivia. I'm in Chicago. I'm a pro dom. And that's it. Wonderful. Um, do you, we had an episode where someone explained what the term pro-dom meant to them. Um, do you want to expound on what that term means for you? Sure. Um, I would say a professional dominatrix to me means a practitioner who has studied under other professional um, dominance, I would say to learn the skill set needed to safely take someone through a BDSM scene and kinks and fetishes without uh, sending them to the hospital unintentionally, I should say. Very important. Yeah. So how did you get started in the sex work industry? Also, I'm afraid that everybody's going to start really understanding like how much of a dork I am in this interview, which <laughs> may be a good thing. I don't know. I think people are really afraid of me. And so maybe when they hear me talk in a kind of a nerdy way, they'll be okay with it. I don't know. Yeah. People should be afraid we'll of see. nerds. We, um, we can dominate the world if we want to. It's very true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> How did I get started? Well, I've already, I've always been interested in BDSM, I think. I've also always been pretty familiar with the body's relationship to pain because I was a dancer. I took dance class since I was two all the way up through um, a professional apprenticeship when in my mid twenties. So pain and the body and discipline were something that was something that I really, uh, understood I was very familiar with so there's that and then I was just always kind of drawn to the darker side of things I had vampire dreams when I was four mm-hmm. I grew up in the middle of the woods I was an only child so it was just like scary all the time <laughs> like I was like living in this weird like Dracula fairy tale like surrounded by pine forests and I would just sit up there and read weird things it was very isolated mm-hmm. um so i read a lot we had tv but not really we had like two channels this is like back in antenna times there was no cable yet um like satellite dishes which we also didn't have and so i would just read any and all books i could get my hands on and i came upon this one book when i was about 11 that i thought was about a dancer so i was like oh this is fun it was in my dad's library 
it had a picture of like this woman in this tulle skirt on the cover and she was like bent over. I think she was topless, but it didn't really register in my head what was happening. I just saw what I thought was like a dancer. And I started reading it and it was this book called A Man and His Maid, which is apparently this famous Victorian BDSM porn book um, written quote honestly. And it's like quite famous. Um, anyway, that was the first time I ever had an orgasm was to this book. So like my first wow. orgasm was to a BDSM porn novel that I thought was actually about dancers, but it wasn't. <laughs> so that was the beginning of everything. And then I just kind of went from there. I started experimenting with friends. I got my hands on another book written by um, a BDSM activist. His name is Pat Califia. He mm. is trans. This was written back before his transition. Um, and it was about a dominatrix and it was technically written. It was beautiful. I, I had never really read something like that. A man and his maid was you know, a lot of and bondage and, you know, forced orgasms and things like this. But this one short story called The Vampire, because I was a very goth teenager, um, was about this, um, right? I know. <laughs> it was about this um, named Carrie, K-E-R-R-Y, and she wore brown leathers instead of black, which I thought was really cool. Not my aesthetic, but I really liked that she was very rebellious. Yes. Um, and the author, Pat, described her basically giving this incredible corporal punishment scene to this guy in this bar. And I, it was like a lightning bolt shot through me. I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, this is it. It was, I always called it like, ironically, and maybe a pun intended, I don't know, like my sub dream in life. Because yes. I, would, I had this dream to become a dancer, but I also wanted to uh, be a professional dominatrix once, especially after I read that. And just reading like how this woman like wielded this whip and sent this man who was shit to her being like, oh, you're just this tiny little thing. You can't hurt me. Like, what are you going to do with that? And she like instantly just took over complete control and like brutalized him, which was very, so very, I know it was amazing. He was bloody at the end, like, and it, and because uh, Pat Califia was such an activist and, and a, an active BDSM practitioner, it was technically written very accurately. So it wasn't like bullshit, mm -hmm. whatever book is that we will not name here, where it's just filled with non-consent and like all of this other bullshit. So problematic. Yes, it was actually like a real, a real depiction of what happens. So mm. that. So I moved to San, or moved to Chicago when I was almost 19 and uh, found a dungeon called the Pillory, which is no longer around. Uh, mm. It was held at this BDSM store slash club called the Leather Rose. And I apprenticed under the head dom there. Her name was Mistress Victoria, but then I also apprenticed under another dom called Lydia Schiller, who was also a very famous dom in Chicago and around. She was amazing, incredible woman. I think she's retired now, but yeah, I had the pleasure of being able to learn a lot from them and that was it. And I've been doing it ever since. That's incredible. Um, I, I relate to the origin story in that like it well, it starts young, like it, you just know that it's something you're into really young. And I, I generally on the show will ask people to kind of take us through, um, like what does a day in the life of look like for you? A day in the life of Ms. Olivia Black. Let's see, what do I do? Um, I'm usually woken up by my cat Fosse. Um, mm. Very aggressively trying to cuddle with me because she's trying to get me out. It was pretty annoying. The cutest cat ever. <laughs> and she's, cute. she's a pain in the butt, but she's very cute. <laughs> um, you know, like aggressively 
like cuddle with me and lick my face and things. And then I don't know, I usually wake up. I have to have at least three cups of tea before I am able to function in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say on here that I usually work out and I usually do. I go through phases though, um, mm-hmm. but I do find that I working out is important for me and just to keep my body in motion and also my head a little calm. Mm-hmm. So I usually, I don't know, a half an hour of activity, whether that's like strength or I got a Peloton for my birthday this year. So yes. that was exciting. Uh-huh. I know it's really good. Also, by the way, I so you can hashtag your your Peloton name, profile, I don't oh. know, so people can find you. So I, hello puns, hashtag masochist under my name. And I'm telling you guys, I am the only person in the Peloton universe to have used or made this hashtag. I am the only one. So like there's group can be involved in, or you can like put as many hashtags as you want. And there's not another masochist out there. And I think it's crazy because I think all crazy fitness people are essentially masochists. I mean, it fucking hurts and it sucks, but we do it and then you feel better after very much like getting beaten in a space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm the only masochist. So if anybody wants to come and join my little masochist group, if you have a Peloton bike, I highly recommend you just hashtag a little masochist and then you can see MOB, which is me, Ms. Olivia Black on there. And then we can all have our own little kink scene and everybody can get fit together. I love that. So join me. <laughs> anyway, day in the life. Sorry to get off on a sidetrack. I just like, oh, this is a great platform to talk about it because I was talking about it with my partner and I was like, how am I the only masochist in the entire fucking Peloton universe? Like that's yeah. possible. So come on out, people. Come on out. Yeah. Anyway, so after I get finished hurting myself, um, <laughs> I usually check all my emails, respond to subs. Uh, if I have a session, I try and session, I don't know. I mean, they're usually right around now, usually early afternoon, late morning, lunchtime, you know, is usually the best time or evening times, you know, four to six, seven. Um, yeah, come to the space, clean my little dungeon, have a session or two, and then I do what I want. I've designed my life to be able to do what I want. And I work my ass off to get to that point. But yeah, basically I do what I want. And if that means laying on the couch for 12 hours a day, that's what that means. If it means I want a session five times in one day, that's what that means. So my day changes often, but I could say that the constants are tea and working out and the cat. And the cat. Cat cuddles, tea. Yeah. Mornings are usually the same. Yeah. Uh, What happens after that is anyone's guess. I love that. It's, uh, it's really amazing how variable this work can be. Um, I think that's one thing people don't always understand. It's a real interesting balance between independence and, um, I I don't really want to say it. We're all workaholics, but I think there's definitely like a drive there. And I think there's a tendency to do that. I know that I often have to tell myself it's okay to not work. Um, or if I don't work for a day or two, I start feeling like I'm being lazy or I'm not doing enough. So I think there's, you know, when you work for yourself and you have all of this time to be able to, to have to put structure to it can be a bit of a challenge to not make it too structured. Um, and it's a learning curve for sure, but I, I can't have it any other way. I can't work for somebody else, you know? Oh, not at this point. <laughs> One of the things that I've learned is that we we need that downtime in order to allow our brains to envision where we're going. Yeah. So for me, I can like work hard every day, but at some point I lose sight of what exactly I'm working for unless I have a bit of downtime to kind of allow myself to dream about where I'm headed and get creative. Absolutely. And even if it's just as simple as like planning the week out to get to whatever goal that is, or to have something to look forward to, you know, huge lofty goals, or even just like, okay, I have to do these things 
finish this one project on Friday or something, you know? Like, let me clear out my inbox so I can have the weekend free or weekend being Tuesday or Wednesday because weekends right. are meaningless to me and probably you and most sex workers out there. <laughs> yeah. You know? And especially in 2020. Yes. God. I know. <laughs> are we all okay? Is everyone okay? Seriously? I, um, it's been rough, man. It's been rough. I feel incredibly fortunate to be in the position that I'm in, uh, both professionally and personally. I feel like my, my particular bubble this year was very fortunate and privileged. Um, but that also allowed me to be able to do a lot of outreach too and check in with a lot of other people that weren't. So I don't know, I'm, I'm feeling bizarrely thankful for this year, even though it was hell. Yeah, I feel the same. I feel the same. And it's it's weird because there's a bit of shame ar around, like guilt or shame. It's more shame because guilt would mean I'm actually guilty of something and that I'm not. Like shame is definitely where I'm like not, I haven't done anything wrong. Um, I just survived. It's like, it's almost like survivor's guilt where like nothing, it was unstable. It was really hard, but nothing terrible happened in my life really. Yeah, I felt, yeah, survivor's guilt. And also I think just, I felt guilty for being upset, you know? I felt guilty for being nervous or uncertain or even scared or, I didn't feel like I could um, like own those feelings because I wasn't in a position where I was going to lose my house or um, mm. even lose my space. I mean, I was able to keep two, two places going just fine. Um, not because I was working all the time. I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't, but I have very loyal subs that were there for me and I appreciate that. But yeah, there was a period that I went through a couple of months where I couldn't even answer an email. I didn't even want to be in my own dungeon to work on it or work. Um, and I talked to my therapist about it. Yes, I am in therapy. We should all be in therapy. It's very important. I think especially for sex workers as well. Find a good therapist. It's very hard to do, but there are resources in which to find sex positive, kink positive therapists. You know, ask your friends, ask your colleagues, ask other workers, mm -hmm. um, because that's important. I am not, sorry if any subs are listening to this. I am not always that scary, intimidating, you know, gorgeous, BDSM pain queen sex demon that you see or you hear or even that you session with like I am very much a real person and my personality is vast vastly different almost than Olivia you know I definitely identify as Olivia and I do say that I am a pro-dom and I know I touched on this a little bit before I do think that lifestyle and pro is it's very interchangeable I guess the reason I don't say that I am lifestyle is because I do not live as Olivia Black every second of the day mm -hmm. um, and I don't want to and I also don't think that lifestyle people do so I don't know maybe I am it's always it's just always been a question and something I've struggled with personally, like, am I lifestyle? Do I have a personal slave cleaning my apartment right now? Not today, but right. I don't know. I do have a personal, I just, my personal just came over last week and put up some lights in the house while I was like walking around in sweatpants. So I guess, yes, I am lifestyle. I do in, very much enjoy kink and BDSM outside of work for sure. Um, I do engage in it on a personal level, um, but I still consider myself a professional dominant. Right. Right. I, yeah. And I think, and I'm so open to be corrected about this, um, but to me, 
the difference between lifestyle and pro is something along the lines of branding. Like as a life, as someone in like, like who's a lifestyle BDSM person, um, they, they don't have to worry about branding, how they're coming off. Um, like I think ethics in, in BDSM community ethics is always a concern. Um, so I wouldn't say that like professionals have to worry about ethics, but professionals definitely have to worry about how they're being seen, which is why I also understand why, um, like the concern about kind of like being viewed as nerdy, um, on this podcast is like, that's not necessarily my brand as a pro dom. Yeah. 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 I think, um, it's certainly not, although I think as I've also gotten older, I've become more comfortable in my personalities blending, which is again, why this remains to be such a huge question. Like, am I a lifestyle or am I pro? Is it just a matter of like a skill set and what you can do as a job or not? That might just be it because I know a lot of pro doms who are also like very dominant in every aspect of their life. Mm -hmm. And I am too, I would say. Um, I think I'm a pretty dominant person. I'm sure there are some people out there that are laughing very hard at me right now. <laughs> uh, that. Um, and then, I don't know, I think as I've gotten more comfortable in who I am as a pro-dom and also who I am as just a person, I think I've gotten more comfortable letting more aspects of my personality come into my work. So sessioning with me really isn't this very, I'm not very serious. I am at times, but I, I laugh a lot. You know, I giggle a lot because it's funny mm -hmm. when you hit somebody in the ball, they drop to their knees. Like that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. Laugh. I've allowed a lot more kindness to come into my work as well when I was younger, especially when I was a teenager, because I technically started at 19, I was brutal. Like I barely spoke to my clients. I was ice cold and it was heavy corporal only. Like people would come in, I would make them strip. I would beat them and that was it. I would barely speak to them. I wouldn't look at them. They weren't allowed to speak or look at me. Uh, it was very, very black and white, and uh, it's changed a lot. It's changed quite a bit, and I like it, you know? So, yeah, Lifestyle Pro, it's such a, I guess the definition for me was what I was taught when I was, you know, coming up into this world was, like, lifestyle means, you know, you are this 24 hours a day, seven days a week, mm. and professional is you it's your job you know and then there's like all these other parts of you that don't really fit into that so it took me a while and it still is obviously taking me a minute to fully understand where I fit on that spectrum because I think that I am pretty lifestyle but at the same time you know I don't sit around in rubber all day right yeah but and I, I will a radiator and then just like watch the office for six hours I don't know like so what's that where does that go you know what I mean yeah it's curious yeah and I think for anyone to be their BDSM persona for 20 like 24 7 is pretty impractical because we all have to go to work and like even if you do this for work there's like self at like self aftercare and and client aftercare where it's like you don't necessarily it's it's difficult to embody that all the time um yeah so I wonder if just the pro part is just you get paid yeah possibly and also I think that I had a lot of old school notions instilled when I was coming up I'm, I'm on the older side of things so uh, at 502 years old is what I like to tell people. This vampire blood keeps me kind of young. Yeah. So when I was training, like things were very black and white. And that kind of gets into like horophobia and like horror hierarchy and all of that. Like as, you know, 
dominatrixes or doms dominance tops just being somehow quote better than a full service sex worker um, that was instilled in me at a very young age and then also um, you know you're a professional this isn't lifestyle you don't really enjoy it that was another thing like you would tell people in the civilian world that you were professional but you weren't lifestyles and this was like not to freak other people out you know yeah, yeah that was um that was and that was not i will just be clear because i know i said it was instilled in me in a young age that was not given to me from uh lydia schiller or victoria that was just some other doms i knew in the community that i uh worked with and throughout the years so mm -hmm. I'm not gonna say who those people were, but I just want to be clear that Lydia Schiller was not the person teaching me that, just so everybody knows. Um, yeah, it was. I think it was also just kind of a general vibe. Yeah, and that it, it does make it more acceptable if you're like, well, I just do this for money. I don't really like it. Like you're somehow like fixed or you're okay. Like you don't have problems because you don't enjoy fucking your clients or you don't enjoy beating your clients or whatever. But like you can't really be great if you don't love it. Yeah. But then on the opposite side too, if you flip that coin and you're not getting paid for it, right? If you're not getting paid for it and it's something you like, there's almost the same stigma on the other side of just like, you want to like, you almost have to say you're getting paid for it in order for it to be credible. Um, yeah. It's like a, I mean, like in any sort of, non-heteronormative anything um you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't i know i agree but yeah i think that in order to connect because i think the bdsm is pretty cerebral mm -hmm. i also believe it's like a sexual orientation like masochist sadist and i i think it's pretty rare but i do have two subs one is collared and the other one i've known for ever 13 years probably um and they just felt that like a i don't even know quote normal relationship was not for them i mean one of them was a virgin until they were in their 50s and this is not a person that can't that wasn't able to have like a, a sexual relationship with someone um it just wasn't something that they ever gravitated towards, they feel more satisfied with hurting for somebody or suffering for someone. And that's just what they identified with and what made them feel the most, I guess. And the same as for my other sub, they have been in a couple of uh, like vanilla relationships or more traditional relationships, I should say normal is not, but you know, what we imagine a relationship to be, whether that be one partner, multiple partners, whatever, but something revolving around an adult relationship with sex, right? Like, um, they are also, uh, I think, oriented towards being submissive. In fact, they just came out to their family that they're submissive and that I am their mistress and this is like their relationship, which I think is amazing, you know? Yeah, that's incredibly empowering. Yeah, he's he's really fantastic. He's my personal, I just collared him. Um, and I'm not saying that he hasn't had relationships before and I'm not also not saying that he's not allowed to have relationships. In fact, in his contract, it says he's more than welcome to have um, you know, sexual relationships with other women because he is straight. Um, but if it, anything gets serious, like he wants to really seriously date them or marry them, that he has to get my approval first, which is fine. <laughs> Love that. I'm like the dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, I mean, that's a good like accountability measure to have in place. Like I would want someone who's known me for that long to like approve of a partner that Absolutely. Especially with my relationship track record. I think that's really important. I mean, you know, find yourself a find yourself a little dumb to give yourself to, girl. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Maybe I will. Which I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about clients too, because I 
I have a few like fetish and kink clients that that come to me and they come to me because they don't feel safe in their daily life or in their current relationships to expose that they're into what they're into. Um, so I, I wonder if you've had the same experience and like any conversations you've had with clients around, around that. It's that's, I mean, that's why I hate to say it, but it's why I'm, I'm gainfully employed is mm-hmm. shame and stigma, you know? And I will say that a lot of that has changed pretty drastically. I would say in the last five years, maybe three, four or five years. Um, I really think that I think that because of that fucking book Hmm. that at least it planted the seed in people's minds, it did start a conversation, right? I'll give it that. I mean, it's egregious. Everything about it is, and I'm not going to fucking, because we all know what it is and I'm not even going to give it press. Like I'm not doing it. Yeah. I think it definitely opened dialogue. Also, I just think like the times are changing and like the world and the culture and sex positivity is changing. And, um, yeah, yeah. So it is a little bit different. However, back to the point, yes, most of my clients, especially the ones that I get, which are usually older, rich white men, which I'm fine with, uh, definitely have a lot of shame, their wives or their partners, um, don't accept them for it. Some of them have asked multiple times for their partners to engage them and their partners are like, what's wrong with you? Like, that's disgusting. Um, Don't like kiss my feet or no, why I don't want to hurt you. Like, that's a very popular one. I think most people here is like, I don't want to hurt you. Yeah, I think there's just also just a lot of shame around letting go of this preconceived notion that you're this somehow alpha person, you know? Um, so yeah, most of my clients are dealing with some level of that or another. And I like to think of it as my job to give them a safe place to do that in and also to empower them a little bit, you know, I mean, my personal, my collared boy that I was just talking about, who's under contract, like he, um, came to me a completely different person three years ago. And now he's proud of who he is and, you know, his friends and his family are accepting him and. I think it's, I think we do good work, important work in the kink community to help people feel like they're okay. I mean, it's all normal to me. I agree. I agree. There's, I was doing a little bit of uh, research before this show, because as I stated earlier, I do love to do a little bit of research. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm fully flying by the seat of my pants right now. So welcome. <laughs> well, it's mostly, I, I mostly was just curious about what I could find. Um, like in this case, I was looking at what the definition of like kink, um, like kinky was. And, mm-hmm. and it was basically like anything that's not heteronormative vanilla sex. And so... Which is so, it's giant. It's so much. That would include like giving head in that case. And if that's how we see like quote unquote deviant sexual behavior and we think of like the stigma that's placed on even giving head, which is like super misogynistic and homophobic to like when we think of even the term like that sucks or like that person sucks, like that's where that comes from, that derogatory term um but we're like forcing people into these closets as i'm currently in my own closet recording this but uh yeah yeah i will only go back into the closet to record a podcast i but yeah i just i was reading about kink and even in hearing you talk about your clients and subs like and thinking about my own and how people are just like shamed and closeted about who they really are. Uh, and I have written on my, in my notes, um, let's talk about how shamed and closeted, closeted existences are damaging to a person's sense of self and overall societal health. Yeah, let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's 
probably like a main culp one of the main culprits of why we are so fucked up in the beginning, you know? Not to be able to express ourselves in the most natural way and to take something that is inherently so vulnerable, you know? I mean, Jesus Christ, it's hard enough to for most people to be like, hey, can you touch me there a little bit harder? Or like, you know, yeah. can you move your tongue over just a little bit? Like imagine you taking that vulnerability to even have a hard time asking for that being taught that we're not especially you know as cis women we're not really supposed to be that anyway no. um but just imagine being like oh i really want to be spanked i mean even like the most basic or like i love it when you stretch my balls or stick needles in my eyelids i don't know you know like there's a lot of vulnerability so when you get rejected i mean nobody likes rejection so even just a small thing yeah it, it just you just start feeling like a gross person or that you're bad or sick you know a lot of people yeah. think they're sick and repression is never a good thing as we all know it makes you do crazy things yeah as a society we're shaming these perfectly natural desires and when someone experiences shame we it's it's super natural to feel like you're unworthy of love you're unworthy of respect and general human decency and are um willing to put yourself in dangerous situations um and i think i think that's I mean, that's where I'm getting to, like, the overall uh, societal health bit, where I'm just like, no wonder, like, we have an aggression problem, because when you feel, like, cornered and repressed, like, you're going to be angry um, or dissociative, like, usually one or the other. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really sad, but I also feel... Um, really lucky to have been like kind of quote chosen to do work like this because I am able to help people work through their shit you know in a, in a very non-judgmental environment I haven't I don't, it's been a long time since I've been shocked by anything and my shock was more that I didn't think the situation would go that way <laughs> A person of mine had a sweater fetish and um, I just assumed that it was me running around in sweaters, which is fine. But he came with like two leaf bags filled with sweaters. And I was like, wow, I'm going to be trying on a lot of sweaters, like <laughs> a lot of sweaters. Okay. Um, and I left him to like get himself together. I usually leave people to center and then I put them in a position and then I walk into the room. Um, and I came in and he was wearing like this teal mohair turtleneck as pants. I, it was huge. It was like probably like a triple XL or something. So his, his legs were in the armholes and then he had like tied the neck hole. Um, and he had pulled the sweater up to his chest and stuffed it full of all of the other sweaters. So he looked like this, like a Muppet, like he looked like a character on Sesame Street. Wow. And then had like stitched it on his chest. And then I was to go and prance around in sweaters. So my shock wasn't that he had a sweater fetish. It was like how it had manifested. And it wasn't even like a disgust or anything. I thought it was incredible and like amazing how a fetish can like really like the places it can go, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was an interesting one. And that ironically is- enough, that's the story I tell vanilla people when they ask about my job. I don't <laughs> tell them that I then pissed all over the sweaters and made him rub himself with like wet wool, but you know, we started at the beginning. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> again with the stigma we're easing people into exactly exactly yes yeah that's my that's my coming out party story when I decide <laughs> to tell people. yes I'm like oh I have a cute 
you. Like that's easily digestible. It's funny. It's cute. It's relatively innocent, you know? Yes. The acceptance of self and recognizing, recognizing that your, your parameters, your desires, um, truly shape your experience. And, um, at least for me, I, when I stopped feeling like I had something to prove and just like showed up, um, and was like willing to show up as myself um and with with whatever was honest in my heart that day um I really started to enjoy my work more and I started to actually take pleasure in what I was doing and I I also remember a very like distinct moment from my stripping days of like seeing how many different body types were represented at the club that I was at and just just having this moment of being like oh there's literally just something for everyone and I'm not going to be for everyone. Um, I think cause I'm a Libra. I just like want to be for everyone. Um, and that's just not possible. <laughs> but you want to be, I want I, to I'm be. a Scorpio. I want to like be for everyone too. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. But it's just like, not, it's not the thing. Um, no. and there's so it, there's just enough to go around, you know? Mm-hmm yeah which leads into a really nice version of abundance and like supporting your sex working community and like being there for your colleagues and your co-workers because we all need each other like yes if somebody needs a reference and you're mad that your client is going to someone else that's not on them and that's not on your client that is like something that you need to figure out why you are having those insecurities you know like People can see you, at least my subs are allowed to see you whoever they want, unless they're collared by me. And that's the contract. But yeah, we need to support each other because there is someone for everyone. And even if you look similar to your neighbor, it doesn't mean that you have the same personality or even the same shape of boob or whatever, you know, like there's always going to be a little different. You are who you are, you are unique and like, you're you there's enough there's enough for you and there's enough for me yeah it gets hard it's a lot of times I wish we could just talk about our feelings instead of getting pointed about stuff because it's like oftentimes it just comes down to um either emotional or financial insecurity and oftentimes both it's hard when we start attacking each other when we're already such a marginalized community as a whole. Um, You know, we can dive into different segments of the community and like some are more marginalized than others, but it's as a whole, we're marginalized and uh, we need to stick together. There's a a lot of division. One of my, one of my apprentices now colleague and really great friend what asked a dom for a reference and that dom initially uh lied to her and said that that person was like dangerous or something or said that they had never seen them but then wrote back like a week later and was like i'm sorry i really just said that like because i was mad that he was seeing you and like that apology is great and i'm glad that that person was able to to like see the error of her ways mm-hmm. uh but that's not cool like yeah it stings I, if i see if i see somebody for a couple of years and then i get a, a reference like a referral email from another dom like from like about that said person yeah mm-hmm. it stings a little bit i'm like oh bummer you know but like first of all explore explore your sex workers like you don't know what's out there and like it's yeah. good, you know, especially when they're new, like, especially when they're new, they're going to go. Like, I always tell them, I'm like, go, go, go explore. Like, you're never going to find anything better than me anyway. So I'll see you in a few months. <laughs> <laughs> go explore and have fun. Um, or yeah. sometimes it just doesn't work and the chemistry isn't there. You find it elsewhere or hello. How about you're paying for a fucking service? And maybe you just like want to watch HBO that night rather than stars or whatever. And like, Thank not to yes. but like, let's not take it so personally. And it's hard not to, because I myself have, but I never like look at that provider who's take quote, taking 
my client or, you know, my clients reaching out or that the client, it's not even mine, you know, that yeah. person. So I get it. I get that like insecurity, but we really need to take care of each other for the most because there's, there are dangerous people out there and we need to know, and we are kind of under attack right now, like from all angles. Yeah. So the, the last thing we need is to be attacking ourselves. No, I know you guys. Come on. I'm going to bring up that other podcast again, because I'm obsessed with it. And I, I was thinking about the, the horrorarchy uh, yeah. as I was listening to you're wrong about the episode about the disco demolition uh, yeah. which i will link in the show notes because i love that show and you all should listen to it um but they're talking about these like private dance parties that were like the original disco and how mm -hmm. that they were super diverse but there was still like this gatekeeping that was happening um like you it was invitation only and so eventually it evolved into this like i want to say it's studio 54 that right yeah i think studio yeah. 54 and it um where it was super exclusive and like nobody could get in and it was just like high echelon you had to like know the right people and in which in which case like there was like no fat people it was like super fat phobic super racist and all these things were happening and i think about the hierarchy in that way i mean i also think about like churchgoers and how like no matter what group you belong to as humans, it's really natural to get the whole crabs in a bucket syndrome and get competitive with one another mm -hmm. over stupid shit. I know. Um, and it, it really sucks because it's like we could we could just be benefiting each other and helping all of us succeed. I know. I agree. I agree. And of course, it's like easier said than done for sure. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I try and just live by that general principle Same. always anyway. Like if I am feeling, if a person is bringing up feelings of insecurity or jealousy in me, like when I look at that person and I'm feeling, I feel bad or jealous or in, insecure, I don't look at them and, and get mad at them for having something I think that they have that I don't have. I look inward and I'm like, okay, well, I want what that person has. Right. What can I do with my resources to further myself to get there or to have that? Not the exact thing, but I don't know. Like, I really like that person's ass. Like, what can I do to get an ass like that? You know, like not be <laughs> mad at that person for having a gorgeous ass. Let's admire that ass and be like, at the same time, all right, maybe I'll do like a couple squats and see like what my ass can do. Yeah. It's kind of stuff like that is kind of how I realized I was interested in women where I like had all these weird jealousy moments of being like, God, like she's so, like she's so beautiful. Like I wish I could look like her, like all, all those sort of things when I was younger. And then I had this like aha moment of being like, oh, I I find her attractive. You're like, like oh, oh, I want to fuck her. Yeah, 100%. Like, I both want to fuck her and be her, and that's okay. Um, as long as I don't hate her in the process. Correct. Yeah, because it's not her fault, man. She's just gorgeous. She's, She's just got a great ass. Yes. You know? <laughs> don't hate on the great ass. No, just love like, the great ass. Just, like, kiss it nice and, like, love your own ass, too. Yeah. Give your own ass some love. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember the first time I found a woman track. I remember so my my father's wife gave me a Victoria's Secret catalog when I right around the man his maid situation, probably like mm -hmm. twelve. And I remember seeing Stephanie Seymour. It was like a two-page spread, and it was Stephanie Seymour laid oh. out in a bed. I know and like a black Mary widow with like over the knee stocking or a thigh high stocking sheer black with like a garter belt. And I just remember like, yeah. I'm like, what? I feeling these weird things right now. Like I don't, like I couldn't stop staring at it. Like I was just like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And now as I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, oh, I'm like totally trying to emulate that picture all the time one and two realized that I was like super attracted to women you know from that and I was like oh yeah 
I like girls too. It's amazing those first moments because they're so, they're usually so simple and so impactful. I know they imprint, which goes, I think to fetishes too. I I often ask my clients, like, when did this happen? Like, can you remember like a point in time? Like I just had a session a couple hours ago and he's very much into like, like hands her way underwear and like the Playtex 18. Yeah. He's like super, hold on a second. I'm going to show you. Yeah. But like this shit. Like he's into like, yeah, it's like a beige, some like thick floral lace at the top. And it's like a beigey, like utilitarian satin. Like you put your girls in and they're there all day. And I asked him today, I was like, why? Cause you know, I, he, when we started seeing each other, he said he was like really into lingerie. I also have a lingerie fetish, but I'm like, mm. like I, I like the shit that you can't wear anything over it because it's just not functional, you know, it just looks really pretty. Um, so I was like, great. And then he started bringing me more. He's like, well, I really like like whites and nudes. Cause it's like, I'm not supposed to see it like house underwear. You know, he likes a nice house underwear, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, and he told me that it stems from when he was really little, he grew up in a super religious household. And there was no pornography, like no Playboys anywhere. But as he was coming of age, like the Sears catalog would be in the bathroom or wherever. And like you would page to the, you know, the underwear section. And that is the bra that you would see. So that was like first foray into like sexual imagery. And it's imprinted. It's wild. Just like you with the, with the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I think for me, I definitely, my my mind was super like active and imaginative, but I think there was definitely some quizilla erotic literature that weren't actually quizzes. They were just like chapters of someone's book that they were writing. Um, they were like a vampire erotic novel. Uh, you should definitely look into that uh, collection of lesbian vampire stories that I found that Dom's story and it's called Daughters of Darkness for all of you listeners out there it's fabulous I am it's already I'm getting it as soon as we're done with this there's there's two (laughs) volumes Um, yeah and it's just a collection of like vampire lesbian erotica it is fucking awesome I highly recommend them I read out loud on my OnlyFans maybe that'll be my next next book oh you're gonna make so much money off of those I wonder if that's copyright infringement. I'll have to look into that. One where she's, um, she has like really, like she's, I don't know. I, I think they're in India perhaps. And one woman, she has cramps and she's, you know, really bad period. So she goes to this doctor who's actually a vampire and the doctor's like, well, orgasms help you. So she just like goes down on this girl for a very long time. Uh, gives her orgasm and it's just like gushing blood, which like, it's amazing. So hot. I love that. Yeah, period blood, you guys get on it. A hundred percent. If you are not eating out people while they're on their periods, you are missing the fuck out. You really are. Get really your are. iron. Yes, get your iron. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Um, we've covered so much material in this amount of time. It's actually really remarkable. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna foray into my like closing rapid fire questions if you're okay with that okay good I'm very bad under pressure but go this is that's the best part about rapid fire everyone's like terrible at these and I love it okay so there's we have a few easy ones to begin with just to like get the feel for it and then and then they get harder okay vanilla or chocolate oh see that's so hard I hate chocolate That one's surprisingly difficult. Okay. Uh, pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. No, waffles. What am I talking about? Pancakes. <laughs> I mean, I said it. I have to go with it. You, have, you have to. Um, books or movies? Travel, by the way. Keep going. <laughs> books or movies? Books. Mm-hmm. Favorite- Hold on a second. Am I just saying the first thing that you're saying? 
it's been vanilla so okay i think that's what's happening keep going <laughs> i'm just getting in your head favorite place you've ever been berlin oh fuck yeah uh a book from your mandatory reading list uh the little friend by donna tart oh donna tart's good Secret talent. A secret talent? I'm pretty, uh, I mean, not really though. I used to be a pretty accomplished whistler, but I'm not that much anymore. How is that unexpected? I love that. That's one of my favorite parts. And I was like, I should be a professional whistler. And then the person I was dating was like, that's stupid. It's not even a thing. And then I got really discouraged. But at one time I was pretty good. Okay. <laughs> so much now i want to i'm going to look up professional whistling a song a musical artist or an album that you're currently obsessed with i mean i'm always obsessed with nine inch nails because i think they're such a i mean mm -hmm. a cool journey musical journey to watch them kind of grow up and get deeper and weirder and i really think they're like the pink floyd of our time at this point them and tool but um yeah, I think I'm there. I'll, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'll stick with easy. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good, they have grown a lot. Um, okay, uh, finish this sentence. Good sex is? Uh, good sex is wonderful and a bonus. True. Something to work towards. Yes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Does take work. Um, contrary to popular belief i know and that's why i said it because you know it's not always it's not just gonna happen although it can yeah anyway. magical when it does Why am i so bad at these <laughs> <laughs> no you're doing great you like you're doing great um if you had one superpower what would it be visibility 100 percent. and this is the last one what is something simple that brings you joy Okay, I'll just say last night, I love, uh, we had our first snowstorm last night and there is something so beautiful about the color of nighttime when it's snowing in a city because of all the um, mm. lights, how it just kind of looks a little radioactive and everything is super quiet, very cliche, but that's what came into my head first and it I, brings a lot of joy. I really love that. I wouldn't say that that's cliche. That's a really beautiful answer. I turn all my lights off and I sit in the window like a creep and like watch the world. <laughs> I'm getting this like this um, almost like graphic novel picture of what that looks like. That That's like how it feels like yeah. it feels very like you transport yourself into like a little Sandman situation. Absolutely. I love it. Oh. That's so good. I'm so glad that that's the like visual that we get to end this interview on. Um, staring out of the dark window you're like yes. walking down the street and you're like who is that mysterious woman in that window right <laughs> like this yeah. very austin powers very austin powers super classic evil person yes i love it well this has been an absolute pleasure thank you so much Ooh, this is my very first uh podcast interview so thank you for popping that cherry i'm it's it's an honor for sure all right well enjoy your day thank you so much yeah you're welcome believe it or not i actually cut quite a lot from that interview and i have a feeling spoilers that ms olivia black will be back on the show at some point to talk about so many other things um you can support the show on patreon <laughs> I always forget that I'm going to forget this part all the time. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash sexygalaxypod. You can also follow us on Twitter at sexygalaxypod. Keep your dicks inside the spacecraft at all times, even if they're silicone. If you're having sex with an alien, condoms are still advised. A supernova is a terrible place to have a threesome. Bye.